Scott Bowden and Brian Last, right along ringside and ready to go with another big day of Kentucky Fried Wrestling. And Brian, I know you are champing at the bit to get to today's episode as we kick off two more features. It's a dirty job and anatomy of an angle. Indeed, Scott, today we'll be debuting the first of many talks with Memphis Wrestling's Unsung Heroes, the men who spent more times on their backs on Union Avenue than any of the city's prostitutes, the oh. performers who made the good wrestlers look great, the not-ready-for-main-event players, yes, friends, the Saturday morning TV jobbers, men like Rough and Ready, William the Freezer Thompson, Rick McCord, the Pink Panther, Bub Smith, Pat Hutchinson, the hapless team of Ken Raper and Robert Reed. Hey, 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 show some respect there for the former CWA World Tag Team Sorry, champion. sorry, I know, I know. Anyway, today we welcome to the program Jim Jameson, a staple of Saturday morning wrestling for years in its heyday. That's right, I'll be speaking with Jim to gain his insight, not only into the life of a TV jobber in the late 70s and early 80s, but also discuss one of the Memphis Territory's greatest angles. It occurred in March 1986 and led to what would be the last sellout at the Mid-South Coliseum for Jarrett Promotions. We'll also be discussing Jim's hair-raising debut as Jim Cornette's cousin Percy, and how that booking garnered him some major, major heat with the King, Jerry Lawler, and the promotion. So you're debuting two segments in one interview. Uh, yeah, I, I, guess, I think of it as the equivalent of a Ricky and Robert double drop kick. What about the Midnight Express's rocket launcher? Well, that okay. First of all, that version of the Midnight's officially only worked the gimmick once for Memphis promoter Jerry Jarrett, and that was for a combined show with Crockett in November of '85. Come on, man! Oh well, that's just nitpicking. Nonetheless, also on today's show, I'll be talking with longtime Memphis referee Jerry Calhoun about his memories of the last sellout, and and I also get him to take the stand to see if he recalls a main event. He officiated on the night of January 29th, 1979, and whether or not it was indeed the real Mill Mascaris on the night in question. Wait, so you're combining two segments again because, you know, that's technically falling under both Anatomy of an Angle and Unsolved Mysteries of Memphis. Double drop kit! Confused? <laughs> you won't be after this episode of Kentucky Fried Wrestling. We'll be right back with Jim Jameson after these messages. Give a friendly five. Give a friendly five. Give a friendly five. Give a friendly five. Just wave hello and watch your love grow with a friendly five. Grow with a friendly five. Turn on that smile. It on me, man. That spot on the dial. Right on the dial. That hits for the heart. We can start with a friendly five. Hey, life's a bust. Take a slice.
And we are back on Kentucky Fried Wrestling. At the top of the show, we mentioned as part of our new Anatomy of an Angle series, the KFR podcast will be examining some of the greatest programs in Memphis wrestling history and all the events that led up to the most memorable feuds in the territory's history. And we just recently celebrated the anniversary of the last sellout, the last sellout at the Mid-South Coliseum. Now, in 1985, uh, Jerry Jarrett experienced a first. For the first time since he had broken away from Nick Goulas and took command of the territory, Memphis did not sell out the Mid-South Coliseum. Not even a Jerry Lawler-Rick Flair bout for the NWA world title, a match three years in the making, could pack that wonderful flying saucer-shaped arena on September 30th, 1985, as part of a combined Great American Bass show with Jim Crockett Promotions. Uh, now, this is a show that included Magnum T.A. versus Telly Blanchard, the Rock and Roll Express versus Ivan and Nikita Koloff, the Fabulous Ones versus the Fabulous Freebirds. I mean, not too shabby a lineup there. Um, now, the event did earn Jared his first $100,000 gate, but of course, a lot of that went to the champ and Crockett's talent. Um, and the championship prices of $25 ringside, uh, and I believe the other ticket prices were 15 and 10 uh, that likely prevented the sellout. They drew about uh, 9,500 uh, fans to the Coliseum. So closing out 1985, Jerry Lawler, who had vowed to retire or win the world title in 1985, uh, that, that obviously was not going to happen. I think maybe there was a promise uh, or maybe it was implied that if Jarrett and Crockett started working together, that Lawler might get a run. But supposedly Booker Justy Rhodes for J JCP nixed those plans and left Lawler in the lurch. So they went back to what the territory does best. They went back to a personal issue, and it doesn't get any more personal than the battles between Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee. So to close out the year, December 30th, 1985, Bill Dundee defeats Lawler in a loser-leave-town match. The King goes off to Hawaii with his wife at the time, Paula, and the plan is for Lawler to have sort of a working vacation and to build anticipation for when they bring him back six months later to spark attendance. But <laughs> the crowds were so dismal. I think on January 6th, uh, 1986, headlined by Bill Dundee versus Big Red, Big Red Reese. I believe, uh, man, it looked to be about 1,000 people in the Coliseum. And that was quite a drop because they had drawn about 9,000 the previous week. So after a couple of months, they realized we've got to... <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, kind of like the equivalent, I guess, of getting on the bat phone and calling the king in for emergency duty. We have to have some kind of angle to bring Lawler back, but we can't dilute the loser leave town stipulation. So it's got to be something really big. It's got to be something really personal. Otherwise, the fans are going to not respect the loser leave town gimmick. So that takes us to March 1st, 1986. Now, our guest today on this program, who has been patiently waiting as I introduce this segment, he had a great hand in, uh, in helping this get over. I'm talking about Jim Jameson. Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you, Scott. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate it and uh, look forward to it. 
Well, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, now you had a, a long career uh, working on Memphis television, and we're going to get into that a little bit later. But I specifically want to ask you about this day uh, and the tag match against Bill Dundee and Buddy Landale. Your partner was David Johnson. Now, uh, heading into the, the, do you remember what the vibe was that morning? Uh, I'm sure there was probably a lot of excitement in the air about what they were going to do and how they were going to pull this off. Because really, this had not, you know, guys had come back under mask and all that kind of stuff. But really, once it was accepted that, you know, there's, you know, they stressed at the beginning when they were building up that Lawler Dundee match, there'll be no coming back. No, you know, the loser will be gone for six months. So they had to do something big. Uh, were you involved in, in any way? Uh, did you know where this match was going to, what it was going to lead to? No, really, really, I didn't. I, um, uh... It just seemed like everything just unfolded the way that that it did. Uh, I knew I was gonna get a butt whipping, but other than that, uh, I didn't I didn't have any any idea that uh, that it was gonna reach the magnitude of what it did. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's one absolutely one of the most memorable television angles in the promotion's history. Now, it seems like it's going to be another day at the office, uh, I'm sure. We have uh, Jeff Jarrett, which is a little bit of an angle alert there because uh, I don't believe they had been using Jeff as a referee much, uh, if at all, on television. I certainly don't remember him occasionally filling in for Calhoun, but I believe maybe he had done so no. at, at at the arenas, maybe once or twice, just to get him out there and to get him some experience in the ring. And so that was a little bit of a tip-off, but, um, you know, nothing out of the ordinary. It just looks like Bill Dundee and Buddy Landale, the area's top heels, were just going to go in there and just, you know, get an easy win over yourself and David Johnson. Now, one of the things that really stood out to me, uh, David Johnson begins the match, uh, and I believe he's in there with Buddy Landell, and David seems to be a little bit confused about what his role is in this situation. Uh, you know, he's supposed to not really get any offense in at all, uh, especially this week. It seems like Landell and Dundee are just supposed to run roughshod, beat the hell out of you guys, and then go after Jeff and, and then some other things happen uh, that really make this angle really personal. Uh, but David's like, uh, it seems like he's trying to get a lot of offense in. He keeps fighting back. He's not really selling Landell's offense that much. And he starts trying to do these flips and things. And matter of fact, he, he does almost like a somersault to, to reach over and tag you. <laughs> yeah. What, what were you, what were, what the heck, you know, and I love David's, uh, I, I, I've, I've never, and I, I call him David, uh, because, uh, you know, I, I normally refer to wrestlers as their last name, but of course on David's trunks, he has his own, like his mother put his name on, on his trunks, David. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess he had trouble keeping up with them. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, now what were you thinking seeing, cause you, you know, I know that you were a total pro. You understand what, what you were there to do. You're seeing your partner go in there and probably, uh, probably pissing Landell off a little bit with, with his, uh, high flying antics that didn't quite get off the ground. <laughs> uh, 
I didn't know what in the heck he was doing. I said, <laughs> I said man, <laughs> come back down to Earth. Get out of get out of that uh, space capsule you're in. It was uh, David's. Uh, you know, David's a good guy, but he. Uh, I think it was being on TV. He let it. I guess you say let the notoriety go to his head, and. Uh, tried to do more than he could or should or was supposed to. And did Landell let him know about that a little bit? I'm glad it was David, not me. <laughs> well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, uh, him and Landell and Dundee both let him, let him know rather quickly what his, uh, what he was there for. And it, it, it finally sunk in, I believe. Okay. Now he, like I said, he does he does this uh, incredibly <laughs> awkward uh, somersault to tag you in. I don't I think I don't know if he'd been watching tapes from, from Japan and maybe seen Tiger Mask or something, but he's tried all this uh, goofy stuff. Uh, and before you even have a chance to get in the ring, Landell drags you in <laughs> unceremoniously uh, and really yeah. uh, starts laying some stiff shots in. It looks like, uh, but buddy. Uh, in my experiences working with Buddy, because I later managed him, it seems like to me he always took care of, of everybody he worked with. He he did. I never I never really I never had any problems at all with Buddy. He was he was always respectful of me. Um, he was very appreciative of what I did for him, and uh, he knew that anytime we were we were in the ring together that uh, I was going to take care of him. He was going to take care of me and he was going to look good. Right. Yeah. It's kind of an understanding, right. That, uh, that you guys, right. There, right. Um, and what you guys yeah. do is, is so important, especially when you've got guys who were, who were just so red hot as heels uh, in this case, you know, they had run Lawler off, uh, you know, the promotion had been bringing in Austin Idol and that helped a little bit with attendance, but it was um, it was it was worse than they they envisioned because uh, again they were they were they were planning to bring Lawler back. I was told uh, that they were going to ride it out and and that Lawler really wanted to try to have this vacation uh, and take and you know and take it easy for a while um, and really try to spark the houses for the at, at, for for summer. But uh, right. they were so bad that they that they had to do this. So, uh, so you're you're in there, and uh, I believe uh, Dundee comes in uh, again. Dundee throws a great worked punch, uh, but it looks like uh, it might might be a little snug, but but nothing nothing too bad, right? Yeah, it was uh, Dundee's a great worker. I I enjoyed. I, I love going in the ring with him. There again, I knew I was going to be taken care of, and and he was going to look good, and that was, you know, that's what it was supposed to be. Well, one thing about that match, there was this angle. It couldn't have come at a better time because uh, I. Now this is. I'm sure this is going to shatter the illusion for a lot of uh, a lot of marks out there. Um, I'm not really from Germantown. I went to Bartlett High School. And the Bartlett High School cheerleaders, they were national champions uh, my sophomore mm -hmm. year. And I was a sophomore in high school when this happened. And they're in the front row. And you cannot ask for a better audience than a bunch of cheerleaders who know nothing about wrestling 
Uh, some of them probably were totally convinced it was 100% on the level. Uh, they're screaming their heads off. And when they, when they throw you out of the ring, you take a big bump out, outside the ring, almost in their laps. They are just recoiling. They're screaming. I think one girl made a run for it. Uh, just, just, the, I mean, th- this match had more heat than probably any squash match in history. <laughs> it, yeah, that match, uh, well, this particular match where it was with, uh, Johnson and I, that was probably the second most heated match I had I had ever been in in my life. After after that match uh, on on March first, uh, I'm sure Dundee and Landale both came over and said, "Thanks, brother. Appreciate that." Is that the case? Yes, they were. Anytime I was in the ring with either one of them, they always thanked me for what I did and let me know how much they appreciated it. And, uh, you know, I just look at him and say, well, bro, that's my job. My job to make you look good. Jim, I, I, I'm a little curious, though, because it's a little bit of a thankless job in a way. I mean, I, I know that the boys uh, themselves appreciated it, and they understood that, you you know, you guys were integral in helping them draw money. Uh, but, you know, not a lot of fame in it. I'm sure you probably worked in Memphis uh, doing another job. Maybe take some ribbing from from your friends and colleagues. Um, what? Why did you enjoy it so much? That's that's a tough question. <laughs> I guess I, part of it, I was just about, I guess about half crazy, <laughs> which you'd have to be to be in that business in the first place. Sure, but um, it was a form of you know. Athletics, I was very athletic throughout my life. And uh, I like competing. And I mean, you make, in that business at the time, you made friends for a lifetime. And, uh, you know, what's, what's life without friends? We had the only live wrestling show in the country. Until cable broke through. Well, I I, I think there may have, there may have been some other live live shows. If I'm not mistaken, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, in the in the Memphis area, oh, in, in the, the Memphis area. Well, it, well, and then by the time because uh, this was '86 and Vince was making, you know, he had made well, his, yeah. he had made his move and started crushing some of the smaller promotions. So then I think by '87 yeah. or '88, it, it was the last live local wrestling show, which is just mm-hmm. you, know, you know sad in a way. But I'm I'm just glad that. Uh, it lasted for as long. I'm glad that it was still around for me to get involved in it. Yeah. You know, certainly wasn't what it was, but I, it was surreal and it was a dream come true for me. And it sounds like it was a dream come true for you. I, I know how I got in. How did, how did you get in? Because it was, it was tough to get into the, to the business in the early eighties. Well, actually, uh, it goes back to, 71, 72, we were, I was playing in a, just graduated from high school and uh, was playing in a touch football league here in Memphis. Uh, so the old Poplar Dodge team and my mailman was the coach and Lawler was on the team with us. Ah. 
Okay. And because uh, I, I knew that Lawler had a way of bringing in his old his, his softball buddies, but I wasn't thinking uh, about I wasn't thinking about the football team. Okay. I was the only I was the only one he brought in from football, and um, where he and I I guess you could say jailed is we were we were playing a team and I forgot for a split second that it was touch football, not tackle. And I'd lowered my shoulder and hit a guy on the sidelines. Well, he jumped up and was ready to whip my rear end and Lawler stepped in between us and says, no, not today. You're not. <laughs> did he pull, did he pull the strap? <laughs> no, he didn't, didn't have a strap at that time. Okay. Well, probably did, probably didn't need to. It was the king. Uh, who was actually a pretty tough, pretty damn tough guy. I mean, certainly not a hooker or a you know a guy who could go in there and grapple with Luthez and hold his own, but uh, a tough guy nonetheless. Right, and I mean, he was Jerry was, uh, to my knowledge, has always been well respected in in Memphis, and uh, I mean, he's he was always. Uh, Good to me. Is always honest with me. Uh, forthright. Uh, you know, I, I can't say I can't say anything negative about him. Now, did he train you at all, or did he just kind of let let you go at the seat of your pants? Well, I uh, he started. He and Jerry Jerry started out training me, and of course, I was having to take off work every Wednesday to go to Nashville and that created a little bit of a problem with my job. So I flew by the seat of my pants for for a while and went through school of real hard knocks. Which is not to be confused with the Jerry Lawler School of Wrestling that Jimmy Hart always crowed about. <laughs> right. Right. It was, uh, and Lawler hated that because he said so many people would stop him on the street saying they wanted to enroll in his school. And, he, and Lawler would be like, there is no mm-hmm. school. Just as Jimmy Hart being a jackass. <laughs> That's right. Uh, when, when did you debut? Oh, God. I, re- I remember um, you, I think, as early as 82, 81. 82, I came in. Uh, I had. Uh, Done a lot of the outlaw circuits starting back in 74. Okay. Wow. Okay. And, and it was just really, really difficult. I, I didn't, I didn't care who you were. It was really difficult to break in and, uh, get a shot just to, just to work TV. It was tough because there again, there was so much talent. Right. And, uh, well, you had, at the time, you still had Nick Goulas running the area. And, uh, did you make shots for Nick? A couple. A couple. I didn't, I didn't particularly care working for him. I've, I've read a lot of stuff about him and personally, what I've, Lot vast majority of what I've read is is true. On the other side of the coin, uh, your relationship with Jerry Jarrett. 
I always had a had a good relationship with Jerry. Um, he appreciated what I did. You know, he was he was the boss. You know, I was like I said, I was far down on the totem pole. Uh, I couldn't I couldn't look at him in in any other perspective but him being the boss. And I just like my dad told me. He always told me to keep your eyes and ears open and your mouth shut. That's what I did and did what I told. It's good advice for the wrestling business. It is. It is. Especially when you're just starting out. Just starting out or going into a new territory. True. Yeah. Of course, of course, Jim, one of my first times refereeing at the Mid-South Coliseum, I'm in there with Lawler, Eddie Gilbert, Doug Gilbert, the Dream Machine, and Lance Russell, and they're having trouble with the finish. And I say, well, hey, why don't you get, why don't you do this? And I go through, <laughs> ah, you should have seen oh, the looks on their faces. Holy, I can imagine. It's like I pulled, you know, dropped my drawers and pissed on Lawler's leg. Everyone looked at me mm-hmm. like, what the, oh, yeah, get the hell out of here. Just get the hell out of here. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which you know, hey, totally makes sense. But at the time, hey, I was just trying to help. Oh God! So, so Jim, you worked. You worked. I didn't. I didn't know this. I didn't know that you worked a lot in the seventies. Uh, because again, my memory uh, of seeing you on TV when you find when you finally got to work TV was was in uh, like maybe eighty one or so. Uh, did it take? Do you recall it taking that long for you to work? Outlaws and Indies to get that shot to even work Memphis TV? No, no, it, uh, that was that was my choice. I was uh, I was doing a lot of other other things at the time, and I just you know that was that was on the back burner. I wanted to do it, but it wasn't a necessity to do. One advantage I guess you guys had as opposed to the to the stars uh was the fact that you guys actually got paid on Saturday mornings whereas the the guys didn't because they got paid they did a good job on Saturday morning their their pay would be reflected in the house and the gate and uh and their payoff so uh so you got a little bit of money there but not obviously not much uh, is it something that I mean after a few years did you know especially when you started working Memphis TV you know, Lawler started out and he, he, you know, did some, you know, did a lot of jobs. He was there to put people over, uh, Coco Ware, uh, mm-hmm. you know, his job was there, you know, and then you could see how athletic Coco was. And, uh, you know, yeah. then they started giving him a little bit more offense and then they went him, uh, went, uh, let him win the, uh, they booked him to win the TV title. Uh, right. and so he, he was, Obviously, they had plans for him down the road, and eventually they did. They turned him heel, shaved his head, became sweet brown sugar, and off and running. Mm-hmm. Um, were, were you hoping for that kind of opportunity, or were you realistic about, yeah, you, you know, this is what my role is in it, and uh, this is what I'm going to do? Well, you know, I think everybody's hoping mm. for that opportunity. But Jimmy Hart and, and Lance sat me down one Saturday. It was, I can't remember if it was before or after the show. And they told me, says, don't forget where you came from. Hmm. And it didn't, it didn't sink in at first. 
but uh, later, later it did, and they could see that, you know, I wasn't going to get a get the push that was needed to climb the totem pole here. I was going to have to go someplace else, and I really, really didn't want to because there was so much uncertainty in the business, you know, here today, gone tomorrow. And uh, I just, uh, I sat back one night and of course I'd had a, had a few cocktails Mm -hmm. and I'm, I think I'm thinking rationally at the time. And I, uh, I said, you know, these guys are living out of a suitcase. They're constantly on the road. You have basically very little personal life. I don't know if I can deal with all that. So I just sat back and I was dealt a a hand and I played that hand and I have absolutely no regrets. Well, you you were part of one of the greatest wrestling territories of all time. You know, I, I've heard listening to other guys uh, shoot interviews and stars who came along later, um, and they, I've so many different people say, I, you know, I, I, I wish I'd had a chance to work in Memphis. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and experience what that was like. And I actually, I remember when WCW was, uh, they, they, I believe they were having a show in Tupelo, Mississippi, a, a pay per view. Uh, and this is when, mm-hmm. and this is when Triple H was still uh, Terra Rising or whatever, um, and obviously he was never gonna gonna work Memphis uh, because you know he, they were starting to push him to WCW, and then I think he had sights on going to WWE. But he came by and watched the entire taping. Didn't say a word to anybody. Was very respectful and just watched everything because he knew the history. And that's why, you know, a lot of people bag on Triple H, but that that kind of got him over with me. Mm-hmm. You know, I went over and introduced myself he, and he was like, oh, very, you know, nice, nice to meet you. And uh, and then just and then went to the back, kept his mouth shut, uh, did, mm-hmm. did try to act like a WCW superstar. He was kind of in awe of what we were doing, mm-hmm. you know, because we were the last live uh, wrestling show. So that, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. And, I, it's, you know, the the guys here that took their job seriously, whether they were at the top or at the bottom, they were family and treated the, treated the job as a business. And that, I think that's, that was the key that made this territory uh, as strong as what it was is we, we took great pride in in the product that we put on on the TV and and in the Coliseum on Monday nights and uh, Louisville on Tuesday nights and Evansville Wednesday nights. Uh, it was you know it was great. And it's and something I know a lot. I know a lot of the territories had that connection, right? That emotional investment with, between the fans and the wrestlers. But I think Memphis mm-hmm. probably more so than any other. 
it, it just seemed like a special bond. And some of the some of the guys who I've interviewed have agreed with that. Uh, you know, maybe with the possible exception of a territory like Mid Atlantic or uh, maybe Mid South, Bill Watts, which brings me though. This is a nice segue here. <laughs> Oh, no, you did not hit the road necessarily to uh, to work somewhere else and come back, but you did make a shot for Mr. Watts. You were called for emergency duty, I believe, uh, by your cousin, James E. Cornett. Uh, <laughs> now we can shift gears here. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm now, I'm still on the phone with Jim Jameson, but allow me to introduce to you Cousin Percy. Oh, Lord. <laughs> You're gonna pay for this. So well, <laughs> well, it sounds like uh, it sounds like Bill Watts had to pay for it, but uh, so, so, so somehow I, I guess I think Cornette was looking at the booking sheet. He knew that he was booked for this loser leave town match. I think one one of them was Houston, and uh, I can't remember where the other shot was. But then you know he looked back and he, he saw he's like, wait a minute. He knew that we were, I was. He knew that he was going to lose his hair, and uh, I can't remember. I, I think he was going to lose it in Houston. I'm not. I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. And so, and then he saw that he was booked at another one, and he knew that the Midnights weren't going to go over in that one, and Ricky Morton was going to get his head shaved. So he's like, "Well, what the hell am I supposed to do?" <laughs> and Watt well, said, "Ah, don't worry about it. Just show up. We'll figure it out. Just wear a mask, and we'll figure something out." And so. <laughs> So I guess the, the solution was, and Dundee was booking then, I think. Uh, yeah. So did Dundee call you or did Cornette call you? Uh, Dundee called. Okay. And he says, um, what? <laughs> he said, Jim, we need you down in Houston. I said, okay, uh, what do you need, Bill? And when? He told me, I, I forget exactly when it was. It was in September. And he says, we'll have, we'll have the plane ticket waiting on you at the airport, hotel booked for you, transportation to and from Sam Houston Coliseum. And we'll even pick up the tab for a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I said, well, have you talked to Lawler? He says, no, nah, but I will. Well, he didn't. Not surprising. Uh, no. And uh, so thinking everything was cleared up. Yeah. Hey, hey, Jim, just, just really quickly, yeah. some, some listeners may not understand. I do. But can you explain why you would need to clue Lawler in on, on, on this? Well, because I was working this territory. I was considered this territory's talent. Strong, weak, whatever, however, however you wanted to look at it, but um, just professional courtesy, mm-hmm. right? And uh, but like I said, he didn't. It wasn't cleared with Lawler, or that's what I was led to believe. Okay, so you you go there, and now do you know exactly the the scenario that's going to play out? And you're you're okay, oh, yeah. you're okay with getting the haircut. I needed one anyhow. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm sure they shaved you bald. They didn't, you didn't get the Lawler uh, Bruce Willis uh, haircut. No, got... I didn't get that, but I guarantee you whoever was cutting it did not have their barber's license. Okay. It was, it was, gapped, it was gapped up. 
Well, Jim went through, and, I think uh, Jim went through torture because they didn't have the electric razor properly charged and you know that hair had to come off so I believe the boys went back and got a bunch of Bic razors and held him down you know oh, and they, oh man and he said that was just unbelievable uh just hell uh so okay so I I, I remember watching because Mid-South TV at that point was airing in Memphis, I believe, on Channel 24, Channel 30, before the Jarrett show. And I remember you, you know, them announcing you come in, you know, and Cornette goes, you know, calls you out Cousin Percy, and I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> that's Jim Jameson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. So, and I can only imagine, did, did, did Lawler or Jarrett happen to see that TV as well? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Don't know and don't want to know. So you go there, and and... What was the reaction of the crowd? Because in a way, they're not getting the stipulation that was promised, right? Because well, already- they had uh, they had their TV show on Saturday night, and and the house show was Sunday night. And when the ticket office opened up on Sunday, they sold the Sam Houston Coliseum out, and so they you know they knew that I was coming in. Okay. And my hair was going to be on the line. And I think, I think in that match, it was, uh, Steve Williams and Hercules Hernandez. Oh, okay. It wasn't, it wasn't the rock and roll at midnight. Okay. That's what I thought. No, no. And, uh, of course my beloved cousin, he wants to make a great impact and he throws a little powder and hits the wrong one and I lose my hair and come back and come back here and go to the Coliseum that Monday night, that next night. And I walk back in the dressing room and Lawler says, what in the hell have you done? And I said, oh, Lord. Either he's working the heck out of me or he's he's fixing to shoot me to death. Well, yeah, and I I call, and I don't know if you got this, I call it the Lawler death glare. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh, I know that look. So he said, he said, you just screwed up our whole uh, TV format for the next month. And I was like, oh, Lord. Well, uh, I don't quite understand that. Can you elaborate on that? Well, I was, uh, I had to go, if I was going to work, they wanted me to work under a mask after uh, till my hair grew back out. Please don't tell me you ever worked as Mill Mascaris under a mask. No. Okay, good. <laughs> I'd say, no. I, didn't, I didn't think so. We, we kind of have this ongoing mystery of Memphis. Uh, you know, you mentioned some of the reasons why you stopped doing it. And did you have any kind of injury uh, as a result of, uh, of a match? Yeah, I was uh, working with Manny Fernandez. And... Uh, he had, I forget exactly what what he had done, and, and he he was coming off the top rope, and he planted his knee in my lower back mm. and cracked cracked small bone in my lower back. And I mean, it was you know it was just one of those things. There again, he wouldn't have he wouldn't have intentionally done it for anything in the world. And as bullheaded as I was, 
I tried to come back too quick and took a body slam and I just I felt the tingling in my legs. I said, Nope, this is it. This is my last match. Yeah. And uh after I got back to the dressing room, took a shower and walked away from the studio, my boots are still still in the same bag they were in that day. Wow. They hadn't been, they hadn't come out of there. But it was, you know, it was fun while it lasted. It was a, it was a good ride. Met a lot of great people, both the guys and the, and the fans. And wrestling, I don't, I don't care how good a worker someone is. If it wasn't for the fans, the sport wouldn't be what it, what it was at that time. Right. And we. We had the greatest fans in in the in the world right here in the Memphis area, I, I and you know, Nashville and Louisville and and the entire circuit. I mean, it was just they were great. Yeah, that was and that and Jim, that uh, you were for, very fortunate. I mean, I, I'm glad that I you know was able to even do it in the '90s, but. And you were there during really some prime years, man, with the Fabs there and Lawler and Savage and Hart, mm-hmm. Lance and Dave. It's just, man, part of history. And we want to thank Jim Jameson for dropping by Kentucky Fried Wrestling today. Uh, Jim is definitely one of those guys who, you know, he doesn't get a lot of credit. But if it weren't for him and all the other Saturday morning TV jobbers in Memphis Wrestling's heyday, then a lot of these great angles that came to pass wouldn't have been as effective. And that's that's just uh, the bottom line. So uh, hats off to Jim for a, uh, you know, not not necessarily a main event career uh, or a Hall of Fame career, but he certainly helped make. The good wrestlers look great. When we come back, we'll talk to another man that had a thankless job in the Memphis wrestling territory, Jerry Calhoun. And we'll see if he can go the entire interview without taking a ref bump when we come back. Hi, everybody. Well, I want to tell you one thing before I get started with this interview. There's nothing that I wanted more in the world than to be right here today on Channel 5 live and in person and get the chance to see all of the wrestling fans there and and talk to everybody. But as most of you know, I still have some bookings, uh, some commitments that were made before the situation occurred where I was able to come back and wrestle here in Memphis full time. Uh, The travel arrangements for some of those bookings have already been made and that made it impossible for me to be here live today. So uh, we're doing this interview a day early. But I do understand that Bill Dundee and Buddy Landell are both going to be in the studio, and I know they're watching a monitor right now, and I know they're going to hear every word that I say, and I want you jerks to listen, and I want you to listen good. Now, last Monday night was very, very special to me, and before I talk about Dundee and Landell, I want to thank each and every person that was at the Mid-South Coliseum. You people that were there know the feeling. You know the electricity that was in the air. It's been a long, long time since I felt anything like that, and it was tremendous. Over 11,000 people, literally the doors were broken down, people trying to get into the Coliseum. And the reason for that is, Dundee, everybody, I'm talking every person in Memphis is sick and tired of you and Buddy Landell. And they all came there for one reason, to see the return of the king and to see you get what you had coming to you, Dundee. And you know, as Dutch and I walked out through that crowd, 
as I said, over 11,000 people there screaming, just anticipating, just waiting for us to get our hands on you, Dundee. And there was a reason for that, and you know what the reason was, you no good stinking jerk. I hate your stinking guts, and I know it's, it's, it's bad to say that, you know, but my parents raised me up saying, don't ever hate anybody, because no matter how bad somebody acts, there's always a little bit of good, there's some redeeming quality in everybody. Well, Dundee, you and Landell have got to be the exception to the rule, because there is not one ounce of good in either one of you jerks. You proved that last week here on television. When you take a young kid, Jeff Jarrett, 17, 18 years old, just out of high school, he's trying to break into the sport. He's doing what everybody has to do. He's a referee, and he's taking a job where he's going to try to learn the ropes of professional wrestling. And he's new to it. It's all new to him. He's a nervous wreck in there, and he's out there doing the best he can. And a couple of jerks like you and Landell come along and want to bust the kid up. Sure, you can do a number. You're real tough. It doesn't take much to do a number on a 17-year-old kid when you're a professional wrestler, does it? I guess you were real proud of yourselves the way you punched him around. Well, then that brought in his father, Jerry Jarrett. And then you really showed your true colors. Now, here's a guy who had just stood out here and told everybody a week beforehand about the disease, histoplasmosis, that he had where it cost him the vision in one eye and almost cost him his, his sight completely. And then you and Buddy Landell, when you got the opportunity, when you got him down, and it took two of you to do it, when you got him down, you went for his one good eye. But you weren't just taking away his sight. You were taking away, you were taking away a lot more than that. You were taking away the, you were taking away his manhood, so to speak, because here was a man who came into the ring to try to help and protect his own son, his own flesh and blood. And you guys showed him that he could no longer do that. Well, let me tell you something, Dundee. Let me tell you something, Buddy Landell. There are some people, I know you won't know the meaning of this word, but there are some people that have friends, close friends, dear friends, who when they hurt, their friends hurt. They feel the same. Well, Jerry Jarrett and I are like that, brother. And when you had him down, when he was hurting, I was hurting, and I was having to sit at home and watch it just like the hundreds of thousands of the rest of the people around Memphis. And we all felt what he felt. And that's why, Dundee, I'm coming back. And I'm going to keep on coming back until I put you away, until I do to you exactly what you tried to do to Jerry Jarrett. And tomorrow afternoon, brother, they're not going to be able to pull me off of you. They're not going to be able to stop this match. Last week I was upset when Dutch won the match. I didn't want it to, I didn't want it to end. I wanted to continue because Dundee... Well, I want to finish you off once and for all. Tomorrow afternoon, brother, at the Mid-South Coliseum, 3 o'clock, you look at your watch right now. You count the minutes and you count the hours because those thousands and thousands of people are going to be back. And Dutch Mantel's going to be back. And most of all, the King's going to be back, Dundee. And I'm going to be back for you, and there ain't going to be nobody to stop me this time. And we are back on Kentucky Fried Wrestling. Our guest today was in more main events at the Mid-South Coliseum from 1970 to 1990. At times, he had more heat than any wrestler could ever dream of. He was spat upon, maligned in the press, spitballed by Little Brats, beaten by Miss Lily's cane, press slammed by Bam Bam Bigelow, sarcastically offered free 
eye exams by optometrists throughout the greater Mid-South area and unjustly pile-driven for no good reason. Infamously, he broke the leg of Jerry Lawler in 1980, not only crippling the king, but also nearly the territory itself. Who else could it be but referee Jerry Calhoun? Welcome to the show, Jerry. Well, thank you very much, Travis. Wow, what an intro. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Oh, man, oh, man. You know what? I can record that again, and you can put it on your outgoing voice message, if you like. (laughs) Yeah, I might do that. You know what? We just opened our our official KFR podcast store, and I think Uh think a Jerry the Crippler Calhoun t-shirt would do really well. Well, I don't know if you're aware of it, but I I broke another guy's leg with <laughs> I mean, we you know, me and Lawler, we we played tackle football together, a bunch of us every Sunday. And then we had our softball team and mm-hmm. we'd go play softball all the time. Now I broke the uh, two bones in Lawler's leg. They would think it was the right leg, I believe it was. So then we was playing softball and I was playing the outfield and one of the uh the shortstop was coming out for the ball and I was going in and I said, I got it. And he said, no, I got it. So I went down on my knees and he hit my knee. He had the exact same break that Lawler had in both <laughs> bones, but a different leg. So oh. I broke two legs. Wow. Uh, it, it was just unreal. What's the odds on that? You've broken more legs than Greg Valentine and Rick Flair combined. Uh, oh, I'm telling that's, you. that's pretty, that's pretty impressive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and not planning on doing it. We're just no, freak accidents on both of them. No, of course, and, I, and I'm sure with Lawler, I mean, well, you know what? And I tell Lawler all the time. I said, you know, when we played football, I body blocked. I never threw a body block, and all of a sudden, he's running down the sidelines, and I throw a body block on. Him. Well, didn't, didn't his foot get stuck in the? What, it was like, uh, like it was mostly. Was it the ground frozen? But except for like a muddy patch, and he got his foot, his cleats well, stuck in the. In yeah, the but thing? but what happened? He had brand new cleats, uh-huh. so that was the first time he wore them. So you know that the cleat just stuck into the ground when I hit him, and they're just uh, oh. you know. Oh. I heard you could but, hear but, it. You know, I'm, I'm so deaf. I mean, all the other players <laughs> down the field said they heard the crack, you know, and I said, of course, I didn't hear it. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my gosh. I know I know. Jerry Jarrett didn't talk to me for a while after that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, you know, I, I know that he had warned Lawler about playing in those games because he said, he said, Jerry, he said Lawler invited me out to, uh, to watch his, his touch football game. I, yeah. I told him afterward, touch football, my ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? We during the league, we were in lead and we play touch. But then on Sunday afternoon, we would go play tackle among you know, you know a bunch of us. You know, graduated from Treadwell, we all get together and play. Okay, so we did that both of them. Now, among you, was was Jimmy Hart the only one who actually played football at Treadwell? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't play, and Lawler didn't play. I, thought, I don't know how much Jimmy, how much Jimmy Hart played, but well, uh, I, I, I think th- he played football. Well, he he likes to claim that he was uh, like all district one year, but I don't know if anybody's uh, ever checked on that. But well, he graduated a few a few more years before Lawler, and I, okay. so I don't well, so I don't know him. He he certainly was fast. We all know that. Yeah, yeah, because uh, he was constantly on the run from not only the boys but the but the fans. Um, but uh, before we get going too much, uh, Jerry, I, I, you know, I had this question asked to me so many times. Um, I, how did you get involved uh, in this world? And uh, and why did you think that 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 this would be a, a good gig, refereeing professional wrestling? Well, you know, and I guess the you know, everything fell into place. You know, me and Lawler married sisters, 
And so when he, he was uh, going out of town, and um, he lived in Hendersonville. So when he'd come in town into Memphis on a uh, Friday, well, Friday night would be Tupelo. Saturday night would be Jonesboro. So when he'd come into town, I said, I'd just ride to the towns with him. So we did that for months and months. And so finally he'd come in uh, on a Friday to pick me up. And he said, uh, hey, you want a referee? I said, uh, referee what? I said, I had no idea what he was talking about. Referee. I said, I don't know what the referee is in wrestling. I said, well, what I do? He said, well, I'll show you. I said, okay. So we go to uh, Tupelo Friday night. And, you know, I'm thinking, well, this would be my first match I referee. And it'd be the, the, the main, I mean, the, the first match, right? That'd be my first match I referee. And then that's it. Well, he puts me on the main event. And it's him and Jim White with Sam Bass managing against Tojo and Jerry Jarrett. Oh, my gosh. I, I, I get in the ring, and it's like uh, a chicken with his head cut off. They just run around. I said, I didn't. They said, do this, do this, do that. And in other words, long story short, that's when I started, how I got into referee. And it was on uh, on-the-job on training. Yes. That's how I learned. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, from that point forward, I picked up refereeing just by, uh, you know, just knowing what to do. And maybe uh, I, I don't remember about watching other referees or not. But uh, just from that, I was able to know what I, what to do in the ring and when to get involved and when not to get involved. So, you know, it just uh, skyrocketed after that. And I said, oh, was I lucky? But, you know, it was Jerry Lawler that got me in it. Probably not only me and another a lot of, a lot of the, our friends that he got into also Jimmy Hart and Jerry Bryant uh, I can go on so. uh, Mike, Mike Masper Mike, <laughs> Mike, Mike, Mike Masper thank yeah. you yeah, yeah Robert Reed there yeah. you go. they were the tag team for a little while yeah. unfortunately we just wrote, lost Mike, Mike I know I heard, three, I, three or four months ago he I, went, heard, uh, I heard about that it was, it was horrible but anyway, that, that's how I got started. Well, and I, and I'm sure that that was a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, if if not, but you know, at the same time, uh, very nerve wracking. Uh, oh yeah. Because a lot of people don't realize, how, you know, just how involved a referee is, and 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 you have, and it has to be seamless. Like you can't, yeah. you know, you're not supposed to draw attention to yourself. And I thought you were excellent in, in that role uh, because you see so many well, referees. Like you. like I love Tommy Young as a referee, but he he you know he was too much involved. You know what I mean? And, and you were, you know, it was like almost like you weren't there until the finish, right? Yeah. Uh, which is, which is just really cool. And, you know, when I, when I, the first night I refereed in a, a sort of the, a, a sort of similar in, in a way, I was friends with Kevin Lawler and, mm -hmm. you know, he asked me if I wanted to help set up the ring on Saturdays, uh, before TV. And I, I was like, yeah, man, anything to be a part of it. Right. Yeah. Right. And so I did that a few times and then, one time I, I was standing right next to Lawler and he, we, he was watching, uh, Eric Embry on the monitor cut a promo saying, Lawler, I've not never liked you. And mm -hmm. he goes, not never. And I go, yeah, you know, double negatives in English. Oh, we always, <laughs> always get heat. And Lawler thought that was funny. And he asked me if I wanted to referee. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> and, but, and when I show up at the Coliseum, he, he goes, okay. So he gives me this crash course in refereeing mm -hmm. 101. And he's like, you know, yeah. with the whole facial expressions and the hair pulling. And, and then I was cool with everything. And then he goes, and the wrestlers are going, going to communicate between you. And I went, Oh, <laughs> like, like a lot. And he said, yeah. And I go, and that's a testament to the job that uh, not only you, but Thomas Marlin and mm -hmm. Paul Morton did because, uh, I never noticed that. that you're not supposed to. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. You know. Yeah. So that was Definitely. good. That was, I mean, uh, that was good stuff. 
Oh, it was. It was a very fun time. So uh, did you sort of gradually uh, start start getting bookings on Saturday and Monday night, or was it just, you know, here and there at a spot show at first? Well, you know, eventually, you know, I would go to spot shows and, and referee, and then as, as the more I refereed, the more uh, I understood what I needed to do, you know. So then I got a little more experienced, and then uh, it turned into where I didn't do Saturdays, and there used to be a referee named uh, Bill Mack. Mm-hmm. He'd been around a long time, you know, and so I ended up, I think, replacing him. And so from that point then, I went from there to Monday nights and, you know, then spot shows. So, you know, I, I, at one point, I, I was like the rest of it. I was going seven nights a week, wow. you know, from you know, the main territory, the main town on Monday, usually on Wednesday, and then spot shows the rest of the week. So, yeah. you know. So, it was just uh, a lot of a lot of shows. Yeah, I, and Memphis wasn't necessarily a bad territory for traveling, but that you know that Louisville trip that was pretty. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, you know when I say that, I'm for, I mean I didn't go on the very many Louisville Evansville trips. Which, but what happened when I do seven days a week when they would have spot shows down here sometimes? Okay, when the, when the territory was popping. Okay, so they'd have. Uh, you know, main events uh, on Louisville and Evansville, then others at uh, other spot shows. So, but I did, I've been to Louisville and Evansville, you know, a few times, but it wasn't like I went there every week. Okay, okay, I didn't think so because I, I thought I thought you worked at, at FedEx too at some yeah. at one point. Uh, that's right, and I did too. So that, that's yeah. kind of it's kind of. Ridiculous. Oh, I didn't know you worked at FedEx. Yes, yeah. as I was refereeing, I, it was so, and and then eventually I switched to the Saturday shift, and my manager was a big wrestling fan. So he was like, you know, you can come in an hour late. I'll clock, you know, he's like, don't worry about it. And so the, so my coworkers would sit in the break room and I get, you know, punished by the moon, you know, hit with a uh, cheer by the moon dogs or something. And then an hour later, I'm, I'm like right there on the line, <laughs> like helping them unload freight. Oh, you're working at the hub. Yeah. Right? I was working at the, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, now you refereed uh, Jerry Jarrett's first card, uh, April 5th, 1977. What was the feeling backstage? Because uh, I know a lot of NWA uh, heavy hitters were there to lend their support to Jarrett in this wrestling war. And I just wonder, what, you know, what uh, what were your thoughts uh, on that night? I know it was a long time ago, but. Are you talking about between him and Nick Lewis? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. It was uh, the, uh, you know, the wrestling war was going on with uh, after Goulas screwed Jared out of all that money and he had he had started right. up. And so this was his first uh, his first show at the Coliseum. Um, and they had they had Harley Race uh, in and Eddie Graham came in from Florida and brought a bunch of Florida guys like Dusty Rhodes. Yeah. Uh, do you have any memories of that night at all and, and, and what the vibe was? Not that night as much, but I have the uh, where, you know, where Jared. Was going to break away from Nick Goulas, and of course I was going to go with uh, Jared, but you know follow Lala wherever he went, right? Yeah. And so then you had others that didn't do. I mean, I believe it was Tojo and Jackie didn't do that. Yeah. So then that's when you know we didn't have the Coliseum then. Then we, then eventually we we had to we ended up wrestling at the uh, Cook Convention Center. Mm-hmm. So that would be our Monday nights, and then eventually you know we got to the point where then Jerry took it over. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and then we then we got back into the Coliseum with Jared and not Nick Goulas. Yeah, that that's the night I'm talking about. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, you guys, you guys, Goulas still had the the lease on the Coliseum for the time being, uh, and you guys were killing him at the Cook Convention yeah, Center. Right, I and mean, it was just ridiculous. Um, now, uh, did uh, it's it, you know after a while as I was refereeing, uh, I would get with guys to go over a finish, and I'll never forget. 
the first time a wrestler actually kind of wanted my opinion on a, on a finish, it was Moondog Spot, Larry Booker. Yeah, and I, I like said, and, yeah, oh man, he was such a great guy, and it's and a I, real guy, great guy, and I was nervous, but mm-hmm. uh, but I, I said, well, what, why don't why don't you guys do this? <laughs> and and he loved it, and yeah. and uh, and then from every, you know, it kind of started from there, where some a lot of the boys would would ask my, opinion. Do, did you ever get in, involved in that in any way? No, no, I mean, I would get involved some where I would say, hey, what about this? But it, it like the. I'm like Lawler, and you know, every I would, you know, I would all, <laughs> never say, "No, you need to do this." But, uh, <laughs> maybe some undercard that they think of something. I would say, "Well, what about this?" But and if I did have a lot, I, I just don't remember. Okay. But uh, yeah, I, I would, I would say, "What about this?" Okay. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I actually, I made that mistake of uh, doing that. The Lawler and Eddie Gilbert were in the room, and I suggested a finish and. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, yeah. Gilbert, Doug Gilbert goes, get the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, yeah, you got to uh, pick your poison, which one you're going to say it to. And that's uh, the ones like that, you know, you, you just don't do it. Okay. When, uh, so when you're, when you're traveling, when you're making these trips with Lawler, uh, I know the road can, can really be boring. Uh, what did, were, what were some of the things that Lawler did to entertain himself and you uh, on the road? Well, uh, that you can that you can talk about. <laughs> you know what he do? He put you know, the blue light he put on his car like he has a policeman, right? A police car. So when we come back from a town, mainly it'd be like a Jonesboro. Coming back from a Jonesboro, they, we know we would be behind one of the boys. So he would get that light on his car and then turn the blue light and plug it in. The blue light start going off. So, so they're thinking, oh my gosh, we've been speeding and pull over. So what would happen is we'd get behind them, they pull over, and they said, I would use a different voice saying, okay, put your hands on the car, and then something like that. And then from that point forward, just make fun of them, whatever we would do. I mean, they were just hilarious. Too bad we didn't have uh, uh, iPhones back then where we could film it. I mean, it, we, <laughs> he got a lot of use out of that blue light. And then we had many times where, you know, it was almost, you know, for, uh, for Rex and, you know, uh, the, unfortunately what happened to Sam and that, uh, Pepe Lopez and Frank Hesker. I mean, it's like, wow, it's, it's amazing. The other boys, you know, didn't get killed as much as we traveled up and down the road. But we would see some freak accidents or something. Or we, sometimes we almost had. Uh, what was your relationship like with, with Paul Morton? Oh, we had it. I mean, I like Paul. I mean, we just we got along great. I mean, we never had any one bad word toward one another and of course i always thought the, the world of ricky so i mean just me and paul just we just thought you know and actually we just talk about just various stuff and it wouldn't be much wrestling involved it'd just be you know personal how you doing and you know stuff like that so we we, we got along real good i like paul yeah it's, it's kind of funny a lot of a lot of fans i think think uh they the wrestlers talk nothing about the business. Now you do, t- you do uh, to an extent, but I mean, that would drive you crazy if that's all you talked about. Uh, and especially like right. backstage in the dressing room. I mean, other than what was going on that night, I mean, we were talking about it, the NFL, NBA, current events, movies, yeah. uh, almost exactly. You yeah. Know. Re- wrestling was I mean, almost an afterthought. And, and, and plus you get to know the board better, you know, just because, you know, you have fewer, you would, you'd have one, some wrestlers you'd go up and down the road with, you know, of course, Lawler was my main one where we would go ride together a lot, but I, I would ride together with uh, the others, you know, uh, Austin Idol, I mean, just go on with Hanson, Jimmy, et cetera, et cetera. 
But uh, and then uh, at that point, you can uh, get to know them better. And, you know, not talk wrestling, more talk personal. Or what about your life? And, you know, what's your real name? You know, so I know I, I remember. Uh, there's a lot of times people say, well, did you know so-and-so? And, you know, he just passed away. I said, well, I don't know. What was his real name? You know, so, uh, or what was his wrestler's name? You know, so. Who would you say uh, was was most different backstage? And then when that camera light came on, they just transformed. Oh, I got two names. Okay. I got two <laughs> names for you. I just mentioned one. It's Handsome Jimmy. Okay. Handsome Jimmy is so laid back. I mean, uh, it's just, you know, just walking around, just not slot. Uh, you get that camera in, in front of him. Oh, my goodness. He just, you know, you just see how he does on camera or how he, how he was, rather. And I do have this other story with him. It's just how laid back he is. Like I said, sometimes we'd go out of town and I was driving and we'd go into, uh, I believe it was uh, Clarksdale, Mississippi. And what we used to do in the dressing room, especially me and Guy Coffee, used to play cards a lot. He called the Kitchen Casino. Now, I can't tell you how, how, how to play that game now, but we played it a lot. And so when, me and, uh, when I was driving, I put a suitcase between me and Jimmy and we'll play him. Now, I'm driving and he's a passenger, right? So that, that's when we're going, when uh, was going with the two lane road. That's right now, it's, you know, it's four lane and you got Tunica and casinos everywhere. But so it was just, so we're just going down the road and I'm playing cards and I'm, you know, watching the road, playing the cards. And finally, you know, he takes one of my tricks, you know, and uh, he said, hey, brother. And they're just the way he talked, hey, buddy, you better move over. You're going to car coming right toward us. And I was in the other lane. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. I was more paying attention to playing cards. So then I moved over. Of course, I was panicking. And he was just like, hey, you know, take it easy, brother. We're all right. You know, <laughs> that's the way he was. <laughs> and another one was, uh, uh, was Andy Kaufman. I mean, Andy Kaufman was very quiet. I mean, you know, uh, he, he would, of course, when you get the camera on him, I mean, he would just, uh, you know, how he was in front of a camera, just like banging. But backstage, I mean, he was very quiet. Didn't talk much. I mean, of course, I talked to him some, you know. Certainly, we were going over the, uh, the finish with, with Lawler, and one, one time we had it to, before they had their big match, you know, at my house, you know, going over it. So, but those are the two that stick out most in my mind always you know laid back until you get a camera in front of them uh and what about joe LaDuke? dave brown said that uh that you would never believe that he was a real gentle giant and like for years he would get a christmas card from from joe LaDuke. uh and but when he was on I camera i i love i thought joe was just a tremendous i thought he was a hell of a worker for a big guy for a guy that size yeah. and his personality and and that that uh, that whole crazy look man he just yeah oh well, that's a, that's another good one. I, Joe's another one. I mean, he was very easy, back, laid back, and aggressive, and he'd get in front of a he gets in front of a camera. You know how he is, and, and he was strong. I mean, he showed that when he got in the ring. Uh, but that's when he hurt Lawler. Yeah. one time when he threw Lawler over the top rope, and Lawler landed on the uh, table and hurt his uh, leg real bad. Well, you you were there in that clip. I remember you're by the road. You're telling no, yes. no, that, that that's illegal yeah. <laughs> to do that. Right. right. Uh, but they never listen, you know. Uh, now the plans yeah. the plans what was I think for 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 Jerry to land kind of uh, on his uh, 
like he would land flat. Well, right? he land on the table, but yes. he landed on the corner. Yeah. So, so that's that's where it hit his leg. Hit. Oh. oh my goodness. He's in pain for a little while after that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think, but to his, I think he only missed a week. But he said that he was yeah. he was like pissing blood for for uh, for about a oh, month yeah. after that. So, <laughs> man, oh man. Uh, now I, I know it's hard to remember specific matches, but you might remember this one if you were involved, if you were the referee that night, which I'm probably uh, thinking that you were. Uh, you mentioned handsome Jimmy, the hair versus hair match with Lawler and Valiant. Uh, that did not happen. Uh, and, oh my and, gosh, I do remember that one. Oh, that's that, who, who did remember that one? That's when you know they were going to work out an angle that uh, you know one of them was supposed to lose the hair. But I remember that Hanson Jimmy comes to the ring and uh, said he couldn't wrestle or something, and then you know then next thing you know he's jumping on Lawler, beating up Lawler, and then, I, I can't remember what the finish was, but what happened was. Lawler, I don't think neither one of them got beat. So Lawler, handsome Jimmy left the ring, went back to the dressing room. And then Lawler left. So in other words, nobody lost their hair. Well, the people expected one of them to lose their hair. So there was a near riot going on at the Coliseum after that. They started breaking the windows or uh, everything. I mean, it, it was unreal. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I believe uh, I believe Mr. Coffee got in a uh, little little hot water for that because I believe he was still with the commission at that point. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. But yeah. um, what kind of, you know, a lot of people ask me about Mr. Coffee. Well, the and, people felt like they got, you know, the whoop on their eyes, you know, because one of them was supposed to lose the hair and they didn't. Yeah, <laughs> well, and that's, and that's... That didn't go over very well. Yeah, and that's the deal. I mean, Jerry Jarrett was usually very good about, you know, following through and delivering what was advertised. And, and I think what... Uh, well, I, you I, know what? I think that was Lawler that come up with that one, though. Oh, uh, okay. Was Lawler, I, <laughs> well, I think yeah. I think the deal. Was, I think that the, uh, the way I heard it was that I could be wrong. Now. Well, the, well, the way I heard it was that was that uh, I, whoever it was, if it was Lawler or Jarrett, because uh, I know that they traded ideas a lot. Uh, that mm-hmm. one of them thought that they could, by the time it got to Monday, that they could convince Valiant to do it, and they, mm-hmm. so and they, you know if they offered him uh, a couple extra grand. And he was like, no. And then it the talk, t- and then Jerry Jerk turned to Lawler. He said, well, Jerry, what if I, and Lawler's like, no. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that the, the plan was that, uh, uh, you know, Valiant was going to come out there, do the deal with the, with the gimmick where he had the crutch, uh, nail Lawler. Mm-hmm. And then Dundee was going to come in and make the save. And then Valiant was going to get the upper hand on him, grab the clippers and about to shave Dundee's head. And then Lawler was going to make the save and everyone would, would, would be happy that Lawler saved Dundee from getting his haircut. But no, that was not the case um, because they didn't get what yeah, they, what that, they that's, that's right. Uh, you were right more than that. I mean, I, I think that's what happened. I just remember parts of it. Uh, was that were you guys still out there when the fans started riding? Do you remember that? Was it sort of, or was it more when you got to the? No, back? I mean uh, I wasn't, but I heard about. It. I mean I, you know, I was looking at some of the damage after the match, but uh, no, after well, the match was over, I went to the uh, went to the back to the dressing room. Uh, what about you know the two? Luckily, they didn't attack me. But... <laughs> well, we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> okay. uh, uh, maybe not on maybe not on that night. But uh, Jarrett did right. deliver, and Lawler did deliver on two hair matches in '77 that are very infamous. 
Uh, Lawler had Mickey Poole as his manager and was really hitting his stride as as a heel. And uh, he and Dundee drew incredible money. Uh, just a, an incredible run at the Mid-South Coliseum with the same two guys working on top with the stipulations uh, get, getting higher and higher each week. And, you mm-hmm. know, it got to the point it was like between eight and 10,000 and then sell out. Uh, and then it all culminated with Dundee getting his head shaved. Mickey Poole got his head shaved prior to that. And then Bev Dundee got her yeah. haircut. Uh, I know, I'm not going to ask you about a specific match, but that, uh, that was the few that turned me into a fan that caught my attention as a kid. Um, and so what were your, what were your memories of that feud in general between well, Lawler and Dundee? Actually, that, I, I, I remember wrestling a lot of their matches, especially, you know, at the, the, the Coliseum when they had some fantastic matches, I'm telling you. And they would have hair versus hair and then hair versus, uh, Dundee's hair. And then they had a, I remember it was a Cadillac put up. Uh, there were so many stuff. If I can ever think of just all the stipulations, but there were so many stipulations between those two and all their matches that I could never think of with any other uh, wrestlers having that many stipulations. And and the thing about it is, it kept drawing and drawing and drawing. And uh, the, the, I mean, you look at them when they wrestle. I mean, my goodness, it, you, it just blow you away. I was just amazed. I was refereeing the matches, and it just man, some of the stuff they did between one another. So fantastic matches. Uh, and absolutely, probably the the two best punches in the business at that time. I mean, that, well, you, you look at the you look back at that stuff. Yeah, man. at that time, I mean, I wouldn't say at that time. I would have to say if I say you're biased, you know, Lawler's your friend. But I'm telling you, Lawler's one of the top wrestlers that throws the best punch that I've ever seen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's one of them. I mean, he 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 can do it now, and he can do it back when he first started. Well, you know, after he first started, I guess. But but he throws one of the best punches. Yeah, I think I, absolutely. Not taking anything away from Dundee, of course. Oh no, no, Dundee's got a good punch. <laughs> Dundee's got a good punch yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but yeah, the, I think it's you know Lawler uh, is such a brilliant artist, and and I think it, maybe it's that eye hand coordination, maybe. Uh, but man, he it it's just right on the money. It's amazing. Well, a lot of them, uh, and, uh, and like I said, I put a lot of them up there, like, you know, like with David Dundee, the punches I threw with one another, but, uh, you know, there's some you put up there, but then there's others you can put above, uh, I don't know who, I mean, I referenced a lot of just bad, uh, just a lot of good punches from let me say that. Yeah, Terry Funk, I think, was right right, in, right in there. Oh, uh, my God, yeah. And I think that's that's probably one of my favorite matches that, that, that you refereed, uh, 1981 match when Lawler came back from the broken leg and uh, Terry Funk was brought in as one of the guys to re-break the leg with the uh, spinning toe hold. And it's just a blood. It's just, well, both of them are bleeding and it's just crazy. Well, that was one, one of many wrestlers that Jimmy Hart, so that was a deal with Jimmy Hart. He was supposed to bring in the wrestlers and try to put uh, Lawler out of business, of course. Terry Funk being one of them, then he had, uh, I believe it was Austin Allen, uh, well, first started with the Dream Machine when the first night that the baller cut back, you know, so. I, I was, you know, I, there, I, I was, I was there that night, Jerry, in the, in the cheap seats. And I, yeah, I was, in, I was in the, it was, yeah. uh, probably my third or fourth time to be at the Coliseum, at the Coliseum and, Mm-hmm. I have never seen it that pack. I mean, there, there were. Li- I, 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 I joked with Jerry Jarrett. He must have paid off the fire marshal because there were people sitting, literally sitting in the aisles, 
because there was no, there was nowhere else to sit. So I think somebody broke a door yeah, a good down. Good thing the fire marshal weren't there that night. Oh my god! Like. Well, yeah, or Derek paid them off. I don't know, but <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but man, what uh, the, uh, the electricity in in the air that night was just uh, amazing. And the intro for Lawler coming up from out of the stage, right? Yeah. You know, so that was just something else. I mean, yeah, he had not uh, that. He had, he had various intros coming on a horse and coming from the stage and coming from. The Coliseum, up top the Coliseum, down. Well, that was a scary. So, uh, he said he said there was there was no. one one old man operating a pulley <laughs> that was lowering yeah. down, and he goes he goes, man, I've never been so scared in my entire life. I said, well, you wouldn't know it because you're kind of like flexing and acting cocky. He goes, no, man, I was <laughs> I was scared to death. Oh, oh uh, but yeah, that that intro when he came back in December 1980, uh, he had he had seen Kiss in concert at the Coliseum, and they had done this deal where they rose up through the stage, and so that's what they tried mm-hmm. to do. They tried to mimic that deal. And man, when that the theme from 2001's playing, and you know it bursts through, and then Lala rises up, and man, that ah, oh, it's yeah. it, it, even just watching the video back, it's it's just piercing. Uh, it's just awesome. Yeah, it's just chilling. I, th- I think, uh, you know, I-, I don't know about you, but when, when I was refereeing, uh, I kind of enjoyed it, you know, if I knew that some, that a finish was going to be really something, you know, uh, if, a, if, mm-hmm. a, if a guy was going to get a big win, um, what do you think is the loudest pop that you ever heard at the Coliseum, uh, during one a match that you officiated? And I know that covers a hell of a lot of ground, oh. but. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I had to think about that for a week. I mean, there's well, so many. I mean, I, you know, I, I tell you what comes up, comes up, when, one of the tops is when Lawler throws fire. I mean, he, he, he's, a, he's a master of doing that. So, you know, he'd get that piece of paper and that lighter and then light that and throw it onto the wrestler and then the, the, the people would pop, you know. Then you see the wrestler just, you know, tumbling, you know, being burnt. So that, that was one time, first thing comes to mind, throwing fire. Did you, uh, did you ever take the fire, yeah. Jerry? Uh, I, did I ever take fire? <laughs> like, like, well, La- you know what? That's like, funny. Like, like, like Lala goes to throw the fire at somebody, they maybe duck and and hits you. Because uh, I, 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 I took it once, and it, and I, I wasn't. Did I mean, I knew how it was done, but I was still a little nervous. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think that I remember something like that, but I'm sorry, I just don't. Okay. You know. Well, as much as he threw fire, I'm sure I might have got it one time or another. Did. Surely when, you when did. The, when the, <laughs> the breast ducks, and then I get the fire. So, oh my gosh! Yeah. Uh, well, I do. Remember- the last time was when him and Funk wrestled that I refereed in Jackson, Tennessee, about two or three years ago yeah. when he threw the fire. Yeah, still, yeah. Throw, still throwing. He and Funk are still. I, I joked. I said, I think these two are going to be battling at the gates of hell. <laughs> you know? Oh my god! <laughs> just fantastic. Another two that have fantastic matches. Yeah. And Funk is something else. I mean, he gives the best interviews. You know, as a heel. I mean. <laughs> Uh, I tell you another, another, again, this this sounds kind of silly, but, uh, I was, I was wondering if you might remember the pop, uh, December 27th, 1982, when Lawler appears to beat Nick Bockwinkle for the world title and, you know, your day, you count three. And then when you raise his hand and, and a nice little moment, Guy Coffey hands Lawler the belt and then does like a little fist, but like a little fist, like, yeah. Like that, and when mm-hmm. Lawler holds that belt, man, that it's I, I, it sounds like the roof is going to come off the Coliseum. Yeah. Oh, All right. That's, 
Definitely. What did you think of Nick Bockwinkle as, as a performer? Oh, my God. He, he was class personified. I mean, my goodness, he'd come to that ring. He wouldn't have a jacket or anything. He'd just have that towel in his hand. <laughs> and he'd love- just get in the ring. And, and he, would just, he would just like, you know, uh, him and Lawler would have the best matches. I mean, oh, and they're just outstanding. I mean, he's a heck of a worker. Of course, so are Lawler. So you get those two together, you, have, you end up having a great match or, or great matches that they had. Yeah, that I think I think Nick was my favorite opponent for Jerry. Uh, maybe because it's not that he was necessarily better than they, they were different. You know, he's a different wrestler than Dundee. Obviously, a different wrestler than Terry mm-hmm. Funk, who's a crazy brawler. I mean, they're all they're all it's all good stuff. But uh, mm-hmm. but Nick was just in a like you said, he's in a class of his own, really, as a as a performer. And, and he every it seemed like every one of his matches with with Lawler was different. You know, there's, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, I didn't know how old, I, mean, I think you might have been 10 years older than me and Lawler or something. Yeah. I didn't realize, or maybe more than that. I had no idea. I thought he was just our age, just not younger. I, I mean, know. That's how well he kept himself, you know, in the physique. Yeah, that, that's. And certainly he could wrestle. Yeah, yeah. I did. I had no idea he was that old. <laughs> I, did, I didn't know that until he passed away and, you know, had his uh, age on it. Yeah. You know, so, wow. Jerry, I do, I do know that you did take uh, your share of pile drivers, and I remember watching as a kid in 1981. I, it was a big schmoz breaking out, and the heart, the first family was going crazy. And I believe it was one of the nightmares, maybe Danny Davis, who pile drived you. Uh, and then you came back. Are you talking about was that on TV? Yeah, yeah. And then you came back yeah. as Lawler's yeah, manager. Yeah, that's the one on TV. Yeah, and then you came back as yeah. Lawler's manager. Uh, that had that, right. that 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 had to be a hell of a good time. It was, you know, when I, you know, I would, uh, you know, how Jimmy Hart dressed up in a white suit and a, t- a right, yeah. white tux and had his cane. Well, I did the same thing that Monday night. I had a, I believe, white tux and a cane. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't remember if that was it or not. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, you, he had the white tux. Well, but you, I thought I did. But well, I no, you, you came out. No, I don't think it was a tug, but you came out and you looked a lot like Hart. Like you were, you, like you had your hair slicked back. You had sunglasses and, uh, and, you're, and you were wearing all white. So, and I, I yeah, do remember. That, yeah. And that, man, that was a TV, right? Yeah. You, you came, you came out on TV yeah. and the crowd went crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh and then it was a match with he and sweet brown sugar and when Hart comes to interfere you jump in you nail Hart with with your cane man that and the place uh-huh. went crazy for that because you were finally right. getting your revenge against uh jimmy Hart. well i have i just have a few slack memories on what i wrestled and it didn't, <laughs> it didn't take much you know I, I was more of a punching bag for all the wrestlers or ladies you know when i wrestled uh uh me and Dundee against uh, Miss Linda and uh, Adrian Street with I think Jimmy Cornette was managing. Yeah, yeah, and that, yeah, and yeah. so and then I got pictures of that. You know, when they just saw, and I just saw it not too long ago. I think Lola looked at it and watched it on his show, and he said, "You just never threw a punch." And uh, that's when the, the Miss Linda beat the heck out of me and then slapped me, and then I I said to him, "I said, well, I guess uh, I'm not, I think perhaps you could hit a woman back then." You know, so. <laughs> Anyway, I might have been the first uh, guy she uh, sla- slammed as far as a man, you know, she picked me up and slammed me. Uh, and then Cornette beat the heck out of me, and so did Adrian Street giving her the forearm. So I thought, well, you know, I like wrestling a lot better than I've been wrestling. <laughs> so, but I, I did have a few times where I was in the ring wrestling, or, or if you want to call it that. 
Yeah, I would, and a lot of people would be, might might be surprised to know uh, just how tough Adrian Street really was. Uh, you know, they they see that that persona and the gimmick, and they think, oh, mm-hmm. but uh, that, that, that guy that guy was the real deal. Oh yeah, he he was, uh, <laughs> he had that down pat. Yeah, <laughs> I watched a lot of gorgeous jewelry back in the day. Uh, you know, Jerry, there's there's a fine line, you know, well, and I'm sure you you know this. Uh, you know, you, you know, you you want to do some uh, a, a screw job finish kind of deal where you know the baby face doesn't look too bad, uh, and but you want the heel to have the heat. Uh, and with you taking mm-hmm. ref bumps and you, you know, and you, I, I took a, I took a hell, hell of a lot of ref bumps because Frank was getting to the point where if any, if any finish involved a ref bump, Frank didn't want to do it. So I, so I would referee like five matches and Frank, yeah. Frank would do three, but, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, I'd be, I'd be honest with you. When I, it didn't bother me a bit. I mean, as far as, you know, just the, 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 the wrestling, the, the matches I was refereeing to, you know, to get the most heat. It didn't bother me a bit. As long as I was out there referring, I didn't care. Yeah. So I, that, I'll be honest, that didn't bother me a bit. Now, uh, of course, I, I guess you said some, it might, but it didn't me. Okay. And 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 you mentioned that the fans didn't attack you that night with Valiant. I'm sure you, at some point you had to have fans at least threaten you. Or, or, or... Oh, yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, like of course, you know, on Monday nights, Miss Lily was always at the college <laughs> gym. You know, everybody knows Miss Lily. Yeah. Although she never hit me, but she certainly threatened me a lot. Okay. That came, you know, okay. So. okay. She but, shook. She shook. Yeah. She shook it at you, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I thought the word of her. I knew, you know, it just it, it was something else. She just she, she's there every Monday night. But yeah, I mean, there's times that I've been attacked. Uh, I can remember one time in Senatobia, Mississippi. And Jackie Fargo was uh, wrestling Lawler, and, and uh, there was a heated match. And then, of course, Lawler was uh, Fargo was a babyface. And so, after the match, the, I think he, uh, he got beat. Uh, Fargo did. So the people were mad at me. So I mean, I never did. So instead, they were really, you know, like wanting to hit me or attack me. And uh, Fargo just wrapped me around his arms and brought me back to the dressing room. You know? Keep protecting me, keep me from getting beat up by all these fans that didn't like, uh, wasn't happy with the finish. <laughs> so, but, you know, it's, it's others, uh, uh, you just never expect it. You know, sometimes you'd be walking back to the dressing room, and I know some fans just come over this just hit me. And uh, it's just, uh, you know, then eventually they get them and take them out. And, but fortunately, when, when they when they when they get hit, when they when they run it, I can mostly see out of quarter of my eye that you know if they hit me, I'm going to move. So either they hit my neck or my shoulder. So it's not where I got to the you know they were fortunate enough to hit me in the face and do some damage. So uh, that, that that happened a few times certainly. Uh, now, like when you got uh, when you got press slammed by Bam Bam Bigelow, did you know ahead of time that that was going to happen? Because a lot of times I wouldn't know when the, when they were going to do something like that. <laughs> no, no, I'm telling you, you know, you go in there and, and you have the match, and then once it's over, and then uh, the, you know the the wrestler, or the mainly the the, the heels or other type of things, but uh, they would either slam you or uh, throw you out of the ring. No, that that was never told to me or said I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. It's just uh, sort of the moment thing that uh, okay, that just happens, and that's whatever that comes to their mind. And so this is what I'm going to do, do to you. That's that's what happens. Because I didn't like slam. I mean, I you know I don't know how 
Lala takes it to this day, you know, slams and backdrops. And of course, I didn't take any backdrops because I didn't wrestle, but I did take some slams. And, and, and power drivers weren't that bad. I mean, I was, I was okay with that, but I mean, not that I, you know, you can get certainly hurt with my power driver. Somebody's not doing it right. Oh yeah. But the, the but the slams is what. Well, I just didn't like like just going upside down, being slammed on the mat. And I always think of Sam Bass. I mean, he was one of the ones that he never liked to, the same way. He didn't like to go upside. He didn't like to be slammed or, or uh, you know, just off his feet. <laughs> There's a story one time where they, he said, okay, I'm going to do it. And uh, you know how they throw you into, wrestlers will throw you into the ropes and uh, they've been down and they give you a backdrop. Uh, Sam was determined. He said, throw me in the ropes and uh, I'm, I'm going to take a backdrop. So whoever his opponent was, threw him in the ropes and he was going to go right to the opponent to, to you know, do the backdrop and then, uh, never mind. So he just sidestepped and then went over, <laughs> went over to another rope. Couldn't do it. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I, the, the first time I was, Eric Embry was uh, going to throw me out of the ring. I'd never taken the bump before. And I ended up getting my arm hooked between the middle rope and the top rope. And man, I thought it was going to snap in two. I, I just, oh. oh my gosh. And I was just dangling there. Well, uh, yeah, you got to remember how that's hopefully that land on stuff like that. So if you don't, you can certainly, that's how you get hurt. Just yeah. like what you mentioned. Yeah, and then Eddie Gilbert. I, I know, you know, one time I, it, when Dundee was wrestling somebody, this is a early 2000, I think, or on that TV, uh, and he was uh, going to throw a punch, and I just happened to be right behind him, and he threw the punch, and his elbow hit my nose. I mean, it literally, you know, bloody nose about knocked me out for about a couple of seconds, you know, and so I had to get into the ring to, 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 to get to the finish, whatever it was, and then so I I said, come on, hurry up. I got, I got to get out of here. I'm hurt. So uh, uh, that's one of the times that uh, you, you, you get hurt when you're getting in the way and you, you don't think you're in the way. Yeah. So that's what happened. Mistakes. Yeah. You know what? And it's a wonder that more stuff like that didn't happen, you know, um, yeah. especially like with a guy like you and me, like who, you know, we weren't trained to do it and, and we just kind of went with the flow. It's, it's really, it's really, well, it's really remarkable in a way. One thing you got to be careful. I mean, when you know we have a lot of battle royals, you know, and so that's one thing. You know, you have a battle royal, and somebody get hit. Well, sometimes they won't see where they're landing, and they can catch you on the leg. And if you're not watching it, you know, they can certainly hurt you pretty bad. You know, certainly tear, blow out a knee if they hit you with the, with the wrong way. So that's one thing I was always fearful of when we to doing battle royals. And so always watch your back. What are, uh, you know, the, the heyday of, of the first family with, uh, you know, Jimmy Hart, uh, people, you know, people who say that Jimmy Hart doesn't belong in the top five wrestling managers of all time, never saw him during his run in Memphis, because I know that he wasn't, you know, he didn't have as much airtime. He didn't have as much freedom in WWF to do maybe what he really wanted to do. Uh, and it, you know, it was, a, and it was a different promotion, but man, I, I just, mm -hmm. his work during that time period was just remarkable. And oh, I'm telling you, they were second to none. I mean, the thing about Jimmy, he got so much heat. It didn't matter what wrestler he brought in, right? You know, to to go against Lawler because he had the heat. So the the wrestler could be so so, but Jimmy had the heat. So they wanted everybody to beat the, I mean, the the, the babyface to beat the heck out of Jimmy. That uh, it was always the, the the wrestlers that he brought in that they not that they didn't get heat, but poor Jimmy had the heat, you know. <laughs> He, 
he could talk, and he was he was about hyper as I don't know what. I mean, he would stay still. He'd run all around that right down green. I mean, he was just. But I tell you what, he's professional too. I mean, he would tell him, you know, he would know go beforehand what the, what he to say and his practice, and then by the time he got out there, man, it's just uh, perfect. Oh. You know, he presented himself well on his manager. I can say, yeah. Uh, and uh, I I don't know about uh, like at, at, at the Coliseum I I think uh, I I don't know I always felt safe at the Col- even when I was a manager and trying to get heat but man when you went to the small towns that was a little bit that, it seemed like almost anything could happen there because you're kind of crammed into one of those small gymnasiums maybe you have right. security maybe you don't uh, well most of the time you didn't you wouldn't have security and then. Uh... Yeah, you know, like you said, the people are right upon you. Man. So, and, and, that, and that's where, I'll be honest with you, that's where you really get the people jumping in the ring more than in the, like your main events. Like, I mean, your your Memphis or uh, Louisville or whatever, because, you know, they don't have much security. And so the people can get right to you and they'll, they'll attack you. And that's certainly what happened on the spot show. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how yeah. Jimmy Hart made it out alive sometimes. Yeah. Well, the bad thing about it is you got that heat, and you got almost like somebody out there watching the car because those fans get so mad they know what car you're driving. I go up and just mess up your car, sure, just because they're so mad at you. Yeah. And so I've seen that happen before. Uh, do you remember? Do you, and, and this was you know a long time ago. Do you remember any tension at all uh, in, in the dressing room when ICW and Randy Savage and the Poffos were cutting all those shoot promos, and and Savage showed up and. Cut a promo. He knew that Lawler was on his way to Louisville, but so he so he goes to Lawler's house and pounds on the door. Um, were any of the boys like packing heat? Were they a little nervous during that time period? Or no, I don't. I don't think that at all. I mean, I I didn't feel it. I mean, of course, I didn't wrestle. Savage, <laughs> but uh, I know you know that they had their run in Kentucky for a while before they come down to uh, the Memphis territory. But uh, no, I didn't see that at all. I like Randy. Randy was uh, he was so easy to me, easy going. I mean, back in the dressing room. I mean, you know, but uh, he loved to jump off that top rope. And we used to have a you know stipulation under the, the, the rules at that time. You can't jump off top rope. And many times I had to tell him, "Don't jump, don't jump." You know, but he would love to jump off that top rope. I'm sure it was probably very similar. But on TV, there was a little bit of pressure to make sure the boys went to a uh, a break. You know, and and got you know got to the finish because we needed to go to breaks so they would they would tell me yeah. like like look for mr coffee or look for eddie marlin to right. walk through the curtain and then you got to tell the boys to go home and man that for me that right. could, that could be nerve-wracking because they would keep going i'd be like going all right come on go the fuck home <laughs> go go uh because i didn't want to keep know, I didn't, I, you, you, you yeah I, I understand why that could happen yeah if they don't go home because you could your own time yeah you know so each match you go four or five minutes and then uh because if you go more than five and go seven or eight, then you got to take it away from somewhere else. So, uh, you know, yeah, I, that could get, uh, you know, can get you going, you know, like you, you tell the uh, it's time to go and then they don't, they don't go in the, the time frame you're expecting. Yeah. Um, and another guy who I thought was a lot of fun backstage uh, and always had an opinion on the business was Buddy Wayne. How close were you with Buddy? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm very close. I mean, me and Buddy talked a lot, you know, and so uh, he, he certainly he talked about the business, and uh, <laughs> he had his uh, 
I'm sure if you talked to him, you know how he talked about the business nowadays compared to when he wrestled. So, you oh, know, yeah. it was two different point of views, you know, back in his day. You know, I think I think he's more looking like uh, he would always refer to the good old days back when he wrestled compared to the way it was, you know, back in the law era. So uh, <laughs> you'd hear the stories. Well, he would be mortified today. That's all I have to say <laughs> at the at the current yeah, at the current I mean, product. I, well, yeah, back then you get a headlock for thirty minutes, and that was you know, one of the high spots, basically. You know, but now you can do that back when you know when we were wrestling and wrestling. Well, even in even in uh, like ninety four, ninety five, when when I was involved in it, uh, Buddy was like going. He's always talking about WCW and and WWE. He's like going. I tell you, they're they're killing us. They're killing us with the yeah. what they're doing. All this crazy nonsense. And uh, I, but I yeah. I just loved him though. I, I thought he was I thought he was great. Uh, you just yeah, you just uh, had to listen to him ramp. You know, sometimes you know that's it. A lot yeah. of people. A lot of people. Yeah, I, I a lot of people always ask me about Mr. Coffee too, and I didn't know Guy too well, but uh, but I always thought he he was a, a, a kind man. Uh, oh my gosh, I, I I had nothing I had nothing but praise for Guy Coffee. I mean, when I first started getting in the business, he was a manager at Cook uh, Convention Center or uh, Ellis Auditorium. I'm sorry. And he would have all type of events there, and he said, "Come on down, I get you in." So I go down there and he get me in. And, uh, then from that, uh, you know, it got to a point where when I mentioned earlier that we play cards, well, me and him would play cards literally every Saturday at TV and Monday night, you know, so we were always playing cards. And uh, I remember one time we were playing at the TV and then the, the wrestlers were in the ring and they'd go, where are you? And then they'd come back in the back playing cards with coffee, you know, so first I got to hurry up and get into the ring, but. Uh, oh, I thought the water guy. I mean, he's, and I don't know uh, who didn't. I mean, he was such a nice guy, easy going, and uh, uh, thought the world of him. Yeah, I, I, I was, I was uh, saddened to, to hear about his final days, but uh, yeah, that, he, he had, he had a good life though, and he almost said it's almost, it's almost like, and I think this maybe is true for a lot of the boys back then. Uh, it's almost like they had a second family in a way. Uh, uh, especially during the seventies and eighties. I mean, you were all, always on the road together. It's, it was almost, mm-hmm. you know, that like this, like this almost dysfunctional family, <laughs> but, but it was family, yeah, well, family, family, never, nonetheless. It can be a good family or a bad family. It's kind of, it's depending on, you know, who you're with. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, but you're right. I mean, you, I had, I had a lot of good friends in the business. I mean, I met a lot of nice people. I mean, uh, wouldn't trade it for nothing. Such good memories. Uh, Jerry, Fantastic memories. So many guys came through the territory and went on to uh, become huge legends. You know, Hogan, uh, wrestlers Terry Boulder. Uh, mm-hmm. I saw a few of his matches. Uh, and I know this, and again, this is this is probably going to cover a lot of ground. Who surprised you the most? Uh, like when they maybe started in Memphis uh, and, and were, they were kind of young, uh, and then, but then went on well, and, mean, and, the, and, and became something really big. Well, you had uh, the, the Warrior and Sting were tag team with That's one true. another. Then yeah. they, you know, the files, look what happened to them. And not only that, it was uh, Stone Cold. Stone Cold, when he had when he was a partner, and I, I don't know if that. I can't remember the name, but uh, he had long blonde hair. Oh my gosh! I never thought. Look what happened to him going to WWF and WWE at the time after that. So, uh, 
then the, uh, then you had uh, Hulk, Buddhist Beefcake. These are down here. Um, oh my gosh! Well, and I, I got I got to I got to work with the Rock. I mean, it's like you see them from the and Wow, look at them! They used to be here in Memphis, and now they're top of the world in WWF. Well, uh, that, but you know, Memphis <laughs> Memphis did a great job, man, of uh, of staying uh, not only keeping their head above water. You know, as Vince was mm-hmm. steamrolling yeah. everyone in the eighties. But they were drawing some great houses, and and this is one thing that I really want to ask you about. Uh, the last sellout at the Mid South Coliseum uh, was March third, nineteen eighty six, and some say it, it was maybe the, even the last great Memphis angle. Uh, the on TV that Saturday, uh, Jeff Jarrett is refereeing. Uh, Lawler had been run out of town by Bill Dundee in a loser leave town match, so he's off in Hawaii, I think, working there, kind of a working vacation. And mm-hmm. but the crowds dropped so drastically. I think the original plan was to keep him out until June, uh, but uh, they had to do something. And, so, and to not kill the loser leave town gimmick, it had to be something really big, something really personal. And man, the you know Landale and Dundee jump Jeff Jarrett, Jerry Jarrett runs out. Uh, they go for his Dundee goes for his one good eye, uh, and the, Jarrett comes you know comes out and he's crying and Lance you know, gets up and hugs him and takes, and, you know, literally kind of guides him to the, to, to the dressing room. Cause he's about to collapse. Dave Brown yells, yeah. uh, which is on, you know, mm-hmm. Dave Brown was always kind of one note and kind of the guy in control, but he's upset and they get Jerry Lawler on the phone and he comes back and man, that place was overflowing on that night. Uh, man, it, it had to be, uh, even though you're, you're, you're a, a referee, you have to feel that emotion when you're in the ring. Oh, I do. And then if that, I mean, uh, I don't know if this is a specific one because they wrestled uh, two or three Mondays after that or, or back to back. And But the one I'm thinking of is one day all four were in the ring and they all got bloodied. I mean, they were just bleeding. I mean, there's, it was a heck of a match. If I went uh, 12, 15 minutes and all it was was just a brawl. I mean, uh, they just keep pounding on one another. And then, uh, but the, 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 what happened at the end was uh, Buddy Landell, I mean, he was, I mean, his face was solid red, and, and along with his hair, you know, so you know, he had that blonde hair. I mean, he just uh, looked like he'd been beat to a pulp. So, you know, but at that time, the training level, I just looked at him and said, okay, you can just stop the match because he can't continue. Well, you know, they continued beating on one another and then eventually, you know, fighting all the, all the way to the back. So, you know, I'm sure the people got their money's worth on that one because they were just beating the heck out of one another for the full 15 minutes, just about. And then, uh, and then I believe I believe they I believe they cut an interview with you, uh, Lance. I think uh, what I think it, I think it was a taped interview where he was actually asking you to explain the decision about stopping the match. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so one of the few times you actually cut a promo on on television. Uh, but Lance, oh, well, and, but well, Lance, Lance, is, Lance, is, Lance was great at, at carrying almost anybody to to a decent interview. Oh, oh my gosh! I mean, yeah. I mean, I remember the first time I was, uh, of course, at the Lawler would remember too because he's the one that told me, you know, you have a. Uh, this is when I first started refereeing in uh, 1976, and he told me you need to go out and give a promo or an interview with Lance. And I said, what? I mean, he just tells me that's just I'm going to the ring. You know, the referee of match. I said, "What? <laughs> what am I going to talk about?" So anyway, I go out there and talk. And, but Lance had just carried me right through it. Like you know, I didn't have to say anything. He's such a 
him and Dave Brown were the best. I mean, they were the professionals, and I don't think you could find better uh, announcers than uh, Dave Brown and Lance Russell in this area, of course. You know, oh, man. You know, I, speaking I, of Lawler when, Lawler, when he got into WWF and uh, so, but yeah, uh, I, one of the best in this area. Yeah. Uh, when, when Lance passed away, I just. Uh, I think a lot of people, I like a lot of people took it hard, you know, it was like he was either a father figure or maybe a grandfather figure yeah. or, or, or like maybe just a good neighbor. I used to, I, I wrote a little tribute to Lance when, when he passed and I compared, uh, Lance and Dave to two, uh, of your favorite neighbors who you've grown up around and they would come by on Saturday morning, have a cup of coffee, maybe a piece of pie. And we'd all watch wrestling together and Lance and Dave would talk about the matches because that's what it sort of felt like. It, it, it felt like they were like uh, two buddies watching the matches. Yeah. Um, it, and I put the both of them on pedestals. I mean, they were just, uh, they, they knew their, their, their business and they were absolutely outstanding announcers and uh, they, they both fed off one another. So they just worked great. They both worked great together. And, uh, I would I would see Lance a lot times when uh, I'd go work out at uh, that time for Rivera Spa. And he'd come up there and be working out. We'd always talk, you know, different stories and everything. But oh my gosh, I, it, yeah, it was just so rough to Lance pass away and and he come down that week, you know, for his daughter who was, you know, in the hospital and she was uh, dying. And uh, fortunately, he didn't know that she died by the time he died. So you know, here the family had to uh, deal with. Uh, Two funerals in one week. It is uh, you know, unbelievable. It's just so sad. Yeah, uh, but uh, you know, he 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 had a he had a heck of a life. That, that's that's for sure. And to have his mind, I mean, he, he was what ninety one. Uh, I think when he passed away, and he he had his mind. I mean, he <laughs> he could remember, you know. So well, and, and it, I, it, I love talking to him. Yeah, it always, it always it's always uh it, you know Lawler's not the most sentimental guy in in the world, but uh, he is when it comes to Lance, you know, and and I oh, I, know, yeah. I know that he's spoken of of how that you know there would be no Jerry Lawler without Lance Russell because Lance you know took an interest yeah. in the drawings, invited him to TV, and it was almost it was almost like it was meant to be. That's right. I mean, uh, I, I don't know if anybody doesn't think of Lance has been in the business. Yeah, in days. Oh, yeah, yeah, cool. D- uh, Dave. Uh, Two great people. Yeah, Dave. Dave came on the podcast recently, and uh, we we had a lot of fun r- reminiscing, and uh, uh, it's good good times. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. oh, Jerry, I wanted to to bring up uh, a couple just a couple of other matches. Uh, we, we talked about uh, a near riot because somebody's hair did not get cut. I also was there. I was there that night uh, in nine, in eighty seven when. Lawler lost his hair to Austin Idol, which seemed to be unfathomable. Mm. Tommy Richard, you know, came up from under yeah. the ring, and you were refereeing that night. Yeah. Man, that place! Yeah. I remember, got, uh, Tommy Rich. Yeah, guys were climbing the cage oh to get in to save Lawler, and it was a madhouse. That was a, a cage match, right? Yes, if I remember yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, here you had Tommy Rich underneath the ring. I mean, he was underneath the ring literally for all the matches. Yeah, he right? got, yeah I think he so, got there at 3 so o'clock. I'm not going to tell me he had to go to the bathroom, so he just had to go to the bathroom. You know, so just, so. <laughs> oh, but, but anyway, he was under the match, uh, under the, uh, the ring until the main event. And that's when he you know, popped up and uh, you know, surprised Lawler. And then, of course, Lawler ended up losing and then losing his hair. Wow. But can you imagine being under the ring for all that time? 
Uh, Adrian, speaking of another another match we, that we've been discussing quite a bit on uh, Kentucky Fried Wrestling, January 29th, 1979. Don't know if you remember this or not. Uh, shot in the dark. I, I believe you were the referee. Jerry Lawler and Jackie Fargo in a stretcher match. Austin Idol and Mill Maskers. Do, do you recall that? I do remember that. You do? Yes, I do. All right, yeah. all right. Finally. So there's not too many times Lawler, Lawler and Farco did uh, team up quite a few times, but I mean, uh, but there's many times that they fought one another. Here we go. But yes, I do. Okay. Now, for the record, please tell me that, that was indeed Aaron Rodriguez, the real mas- Mill Mascaris, and not a ringer on that night. Any oh, ad- wow. Well, any- I'm sorry. No, I, no? I, I can't tell. I don't remember. Oh. <laughs> I don't remember that one. <laughs> what, was it Francisco Flores? Or, yeah. uh, I, don't, I don't know. Could have no. been. I could have been. I don't remember. Oh, Jerry. Oh, I'm sorry. Man, you got my hopes up <laughs> I there. I remember for a the match, but I can't remember the people. <laughs> <laughs> well, dead gummit. They right. all run together. Yeah. So, so. Okay. Well, you know, what about the theory that. Okay, they bring in Mil Mascaris. He's a big star. He's only going to be in one night. Jerry Jarrett doesn't want to mess with getting him a license. Uh, he just tells the inspector, hey, it's Francisco Flores. Is that possible that that could have happened? Yes. I okay, mean, there, there, we, there. there you have it from referee Jerry Calhoun. Well, 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 I said that's possible. <laughs> but, uh, all I can say is when, anytime you bring up a uh, uh, wrestling license, a referee license, they were so bogus. You know, we all hate it. So, you know, anything can happen when you're dealing with those uh, licenses that uh, really well, were bogus. Well, Jim Cornette, he, he – he uh, he finds it hard to believe, uh, especially given the finish and that Mill was so cooperative. Uh, but uh, he and he also points to that commission report, going, "Jerry, that's a sworn affidavit. Jerry Jarrett would not have lied to the commission." And I'm like, "Really? Uh, he, he did." Uh, Jerry Jarrett hated the commission. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. we all did. I mean, you know, they come around once a year to the Mississippi, Arkansas, Tennessee. They all want you to, you know, you got to pay your, I don't remember, $50, I don't remember what it was at the time, but they'd always come around once a year, and, you know, come on, pay me. And all the boys are thinking, hey, what? What are you doing? I mean, you know, it's so bogus. I mean, we all, yeah. we tried to avoid them when they came, but, you know, we couldn't, unfortunately. Right. right. Uh, well, hey Jerry, listen, I uh, I really appreciate you uh, sharing some memories with us. I, I didn't intend to keep you on the phone for so long, but man, once we get talking about wrestling, it's kind of hard to stop. You got that right. I, I really appreciate you inviting me on the show, and uh, yeah, gee, I hope I didn't bore everybody about uh, what I said. But oh uh, no, no, I really appreciate. It. Well, I, hey, and uh, I just want you to know that, and I say this to everybody I interview who I grew up watching, I and I just appreciate you, and I love what you guys did for me growing up in Memphis. I think it was the best wrestling promotion in the country at that time. You know, it, it may not have been the actual best wrestling, per se, but definitely the most entertaining, and the cast of characters it was just unbelievable, and you were right there and part of that mix. And uh, I just want you to know, I appreciate it, and I thank you. Well, I, I appreciate your words and kind words, and uh, you know, there are so many memories, and I met so many wonderful people, and uh, wouldn't trade it for anything. But uh, certainly, again, I appreciate you having me on this show, and do it again, maybe. And uh, I want to thank Jerry Calhoun, even though he did not confirm for me that it's 
indeed was the real male Mascaris. On the night in question, so that unsolved mystery carries on for at least another week. Well, with that said, let's wrap things up here. Of course, you can follow Scott Bowden on Twitter at Trav Scott Bowden. You can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last, and you can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at Super Podcasts. You can like Kentucky Fried Wrestling on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash Kentucky Fried Wrestling, a great way to get updates about future shows, as well as see some of the great content each and every day that goes up there. Once again, facebook.com slash Kentucky Fried Wrestling. And of course, we have to tell everyone about the big Kentucky Fried Wrestling store, Scott. Yes, at KentuckyFriedWrestling.BigCartel.com, you will find a wide array of Hanna-Barbarian-branded Memphis merch, illustrated by our own Travis Heckle, capturing some of the greatest stars and moments of Memphis wrestling in his own unique Saturday morning cartoon style. And also, I want to thank everyone who has purchased a t-shirt in support of Jerry Gray. All profits from this special edition shirt will be going directly to Jerry's GoFundMe account. Now, this week, if we can sell... 10 more shirts. We've had a great response so far. If we can sell 10 more, we will match the contribution that comes from those shirts directly to Jerry's GoFundMe account. So let's make that happen this week. If we can sell 10 more shirts, we will match that contribution. Kentucky Fried Wrestling is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For Brian Lass, this is Scott Bowden. We'll see you next week on Kentucky Fried Wrestling. The announcers on this program are selected and paid by parties other than this station, namely the promoters of Championship Wrestling.